On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. This weekend marked the birthday of Anthony Burgess, author of one of the most celebrated and contested novels of the 20th century, someone whose life was linked to Ireland in many ways. Uh, He's the author of the novel A Clockwork Orange, a book which was uh, banned in Ireland and the circumstances surrounding the film version, which you might recognise that music from, are a bit astonishing. The film was banned until 1999, which was more than a quarter of a century after the censor first decided that it shouldn't be shown in Ireland. But the way in which it came to be banned, inverted commas in Britain, is also a very curious story, perhaps one of the most curious has ever been in film history. And Donald Fallon is here to tell us uh, all about it. Donald, um, few writers leave behind a legacy like that of Anthony Burgess. Oh, well, everyone has a, a, a favourite Anthony Burgess quote. He said, if you laugh, the world laughs along with you. And if you snore, you sleep alone, which is a good one. He also <laughs> said, we can destroy what we've written, but we cannot unwrite it. Immortal words. And yeah, Anthony Burgess, born on the 25th of February, 1917. Uh, left behind him more than 50 books, which is mm. amazing, more than 30 novels, more than 25 works of non-fiction. And undoubtedly, there's one novel that is you know, most widely known, in no small part thanks to Stanley Kubrick, and that remarkable big screen adaptation. Isn't that just a brilliant film score, A Clockwork Orange? Mm. So we'll focus in on that today. But a really interesting background, Burgess, born in Manchester in 1917, very strange youth. I mean, his mother... Uh, died in the so-called Spanish flu pandemic, as did his sister. Mm-hmm. Pretty haunting, actually. The father came home and, and discovered them both dead. And when his father remarried to an Irish migrant who ran a pub, uh, he basically is raised over an Irish pub in Manchester, which is Fair extraordinary. Enough. and might, might explain some of his obsessions with Ireland uh, later on. But the way he talked about Manchester and his youth was brilliant. You know, Manchester was humid and still is, but its reputation for rain was always much exaggerated. It was a city that looked better in the rain than in the dry anyway. Grim, sooty, somewhat depressing. Uh, I don't think a reputation he, for he rain is to a man in a Manchester United Yes, he, d- he did. Yes, it's 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 one of those days. Uh, come on, you Reds. Uh, his writing career begins, uh, at least by, by maybe by, by modern standards, um, he starts his writing career quite late. Absolutely. And, you know, normally nowadays when we hear of an emerging young writer, somebody, yeah, somebody's context, fresh out of Trinity, like basically. Sally Rooney, yeah, yeah, she's still in Trinity when you kind of start hearing about her writing short stories. Anthony Burgess in his mid-40s uh, when he publishes A Clockwork Orange in 1962. And his first novel had been published in 56, you know, not six years before that so he, mm. he begins writing quite late I suppose by the standards of what we're used to today which is then remarkable when you consider how many novels he left behind because it's one thing to say more than 30 novels if you're doing it since your early 20s or your late teens and you work through them because this is an year before word processing yeah. so it's all done longhand to start that late he writes at so an amazing behind. an amazing pace I mean he pumps out an average of, of two books a year and A Clockwork Orange it's a dystopian satire uh, it's told through its very troubled narrator, Alex, still mm-hmm. a, a Halloween favourite, you know, all over the world, <laughs> and his journey into this world of violence. And it's got this kind of weird language uh, in it. So he likes to indulge in what he calls ultraviolence. Uh, his gang are known as the Droogs. Their favourite drink is milk, milk spiked with drugs. And he has this love for classical music. And you kind of get a sense of that from the intro music we mm, heard today. Yeah. Uh, especially Ludwig van. Yes. Know, a bit of the old Ludwig van. Yeah. And he kind of talks Le- about Leaving him. out the more important word of his name, of course, which is Beethoven. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. But he talks about him like, you know, like a friend with great reverence. So, look, when the novel came out, it was the kind of thing that the Censorship of Publications Board in Ireland generally didn't like. You know, the sexual violence, just bad language, all of that's going on in it. But the weird thing about censorship in Ireland was if a book wasn't actually brought to the censor's attention... Mm. 
they couldn't do anything about it. In other words, if no one complained, yeah. they weren't going to look at it. You, you can only ban about the stuff you know about. Exactly. Yeah. So when the book comes out in 1962, one newspaper, as far as I could see, the Irish Press reviewed it. No one else really paid it any attention. And then it's only banned in Ireland in 1976. So you could walk into a bookshop and buy a copy of this for yeah. well over a decade. But by then, by the, by, by the second half of the 70s, everyone knew about a clockwork orange. I like I like how it, like that classic Irishness of that it's an open secret for 14 years that there's this thing yeah. that's probably bannable. And they're like, you know what, lads, we should do something about that. This book that's been on the market for 14 years now. Um, before this massive scandal, um, in Ireland, um, he is known for totally different reasons. Yeah, before Stanley Kubrick got his hands on a clockwork orange, if you knew the name Anthony Burgess in Ireland, uh, you probably knew of him because of his work on James Joyce. Mm. He was really obsessed with Joyce. He published a lot. He published uh, a shorter version of Finnegan's Wake. Still makes very little sense, but anyway, he tried to condense it down somewhat. Uh, he wrote at length about Ulysses, and he said something about Ulysses. I think this is brilliant. Ulysses innovated for itself and itself only. It is inimitable. It is also possibly mad. Yeah. It's Correct. Nice yes. To imagine yeah. the, the author of A Clockwork Orange, yes. you know, which isn't exactly a journey into total no. sanity. <laughs> he uh, says, like, sc- Ulysses is mad. <laughs> Ulysses is mad. But he's, he's right, though, that like, it innovated for itself and itself only, that Ulysses was such an innovative book that you couldn't then apply its innovations to other texts. Absolutely. Like, it was this freestanding thing. And, and look, the maddest thing on, on, on YouTube, if anyone's battling a hangover today, is a documentary <laughs> about a half hour long of Anthony Burgess in a fake Irish pub explaining... Finnegan's Wake. So okay. just extraordinary. He was obsessed with Joyce. And he probably could have become famous as a, as a Joycean scholar alone. But when Stanley Kubrick uh, makes this film, it just propels him to a, a new level of consciousness and right there into the mainstream. Mm. Uh, Kubrick was a big name at the time. And, and this was at a time where Kubrick wasn't just this kind of emerging filmmaker. He was already pretty established. He'd already made what some people would consider a masterpiece. People call it the greatest film of all time. 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which came out in 68, nominated for four Academy Awards. And shamefully, I don't think it actually won any but, but George Lucas of, of Star Wars fame, he said that Stanley made the ultimate science fiction movie and it's going to be very hard for someone to come along and make a better movie uh, as far as I'm that's, concerned. That's, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a quote attributed to the guy who made Star Wars. Yeah, that's high <laughs> praise, right? Yeah. And Stanley's the man of the moment and when a Clockwork Orange, when his name is put on that project, it's very, very eagerly uh, awaited. But the film, is, the film is more disturbing than the book, which is, which is an achievement in itself. Mm. But it's an undeniable work uh, of brilliance. They release it in Britain in 71, uh, and everyone in Ireland heard about it, despite the fact it wasn't uh, it wasn't submitted for Irish cinemas yet. The Evening Herald run three articles over three days, allowing kind of British voices to to give out about this movie okay. that no Irish person has actually seen. And wow. a British Labour MP has given a full page in the Herald. The film stimulates for two and a half hours an appetite for sadistic violence with that instantaneous communication which visual art uniquely I mean, that, offer. That sounds like an advertisement really, doesn't it? Also, so like if you're, you're basically, you're running such extensive coverage about a film that nobody can see and they're like, over two and a half hours, this film will encourage real violence. You're basically saying, right, if anyone is reading the Evening Herald and you're, you're heading over to Hollyhead anytime soon, sure, go to the picture house for two and a half hours and indulge yourself in a bit of ultra violence. Um, <laughs> And like you said, like you said, before, even when we were in the ad break before you came on, when you hear that opening music, that it just does a very good job of illustrating oh, yeah. the mood that um, bad stuff's about to go down. Get Absolutely. ready, lads. Um, it's a film that's best known for the leading man and, and his haunting performance. Malcolm McDowell's really haunting in it uh, as, as, as Alex. And, you know, he, the performance was so good. I think that's one reason people were so afraid of the film. They were like, God, people are going to actually like this guy. You know, <laughs> when Stanley mm. was talking about that, he said, Alex has vitality, courage and intelligence, but... You cannot fail to see that he is thoroughly evil. 
And he also made this point that there's always been violence in art. There's violence in the Bible, violence in Homer, violence in Shakespeare. And psychiatrists believe that it serves as a, as a catharsis rather than a model. I think the question of whether there's been an increase in screen violence and if so, what effect this has had is to a very great extent a media-defined issue. But okay. you can't get away from it. Malcolm McDowell brings this character, Alex, uh, to life. And I think that's really what, what frightened people. Mm. Our kids going to want to go out and be this guy. So right throughout 1971, a film that no one in Ireland can actually go and see is getting massive amounts of column interest. Mm. You get interesting little nuggets in the press and then in, in memoirs like Dave Fanning, a young Dave Fanning before he goes into UCD, <laughs> he talks about going over to England specifically to see banned movies well, uh, like a clockwork. Doesn't that just prove the point that like three, three days of coverage in the Evening Herald is, is going to give people an idea irrespective of whether it's a good idea or not. Um, it'll be two years later then before the film censor in Ireland uh, even gets a look at it and of course this is a day where it's not like book censorship. In film censorship the, the film has to be seen by the mm. censors before it can go out so it, there is a filtering system there. Um, the result of what the Film Centre does is pretty unsurprising. Yeah, 10th of April 1973. The Film Centre in Ireland has the power to say, send that back, cut this, this, this and this, resubmit it and we'll see. But they don't do that. They just reject it outright. They watch it on the wow. 10th of April okay. 1973. They say no. And Warner Brothers, I mean, they've been tr- like through hell with this film so they basically didn't see any point in submitting it to the appeals board in Ireland yeah. and they were probably right. But in England, things get very strange. I mean, they're still moaning about this film two years after it comes out and they're mm. still showing it. It's become a bit of a cult classic wow. in this cinemas in, in London that are still showing it. So there's this fear of copycat crimes. There's a couple of very serious crimes in Britain and abroad where they talk about this film could be an influence. Yeah. And then Stanley comes forward and I've never heard of this happening uh, before or since. But this amazing act of self-censorship, he says, remove the film from distribution. Stop showing it. So he, uh, he, so he basically bans his own film. He bans his own film and he does it in a very defeated way. He says, look... I don't think the film is the problem. He says, the people who commit violent crimes are not ordinary people who are transformed into vicious thugs by the wrong diet of films or TV. In other words, mm. if someone's going to commit a murder, they're going to commit a murder and it wasn't this film that pushed them over the edge. Yeah. But I think the pressure was all too much and, and he pulled his own film, which is amazing. Uh, so so this is then an act of self-censorship, self-cancellation, if you like, in, in the yeah, modern yeah, part. Yeah, the um, But, but it's, uh, it, then it, it's over 25 years then before there's any revision to that where, where th- those responsible for it decide actually you know what maybe it's okay to let this back into the wild again Stanley Kubrick was a stubborn man and he never he never changed his mind on this and when he died in 1999 literally weeks after finishing uh, Eyes Wide Shut amazing films like what a, what a career Yeah. when he dies the subject of A Clockwork Orange comes up pretty much immediately and his family decide you know what it's probably time to lift that self-imposed ban so that's fascinating that wasn't even him responsible for it oh. it wasn't like oh it's the turn of the millennium now and we have different mores and we, we trust people to be a little yeah. bit more self-standing or to be a little bit more critical about what they see it's actually his family who decides, you know what, let's let this go this, again. This is a work of art. Let's put it back out there. So it had to go back to the Irish censor because remember it had been rejected. Yeah. So in 1999, an Irish film censor has to sit down and watch it. And it's a great letter in the, in the Irish Times the, a week later. As one who was stopped from seeing this film during my earlier years and who did not appreciate the censor's power at the time or his role in protecting the common good of society. It now seems to me that the original banning was both wise and courageous in contrast to the more recent sad Sorry, that's decision. Somebody writing to the Irish Times in 1999 saying that they still should have banned it. <laughs> still should have banned ha- it. Having seen this film, Amazing. I shouldn't have seen this film. But look, now it is recognised as a work of brilliance on screen. It is disturbing. I mean, good things can be disturbing things. And mm. That's what A Clockwork Orange is. And there's a long-standing myth that Anthony Burgess actually didn't like the film. He actually did like it, but I don't think he was happy with how the controversies put him back centre stage, if yeah. that makes sense. This was Stanley's film, he felt. And he had a lovely line. He said, look, Stanley Kubrick's achievements swallowed mine whole. And yet I was responsible for what some called its malign influence on the young. But yeah, if you haven't 
seeing a clockwork orange it's yeah. a must see perhaps you know after the kids have gone to bed yeah uh, it's it's definitely a post watershed uh, piece of work <laughs> if, if, you'd, <laughs> if you'd like to start watching something at 9 o'clock and still be awake at 2 o'clock in the morning thinking about it, it it's, it's a good idea uh, Anthony Burgess's uh, birthday was this weekend that story recounted uh, as ever with typical aplomb uh, by Donald Fallon the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the history of Dublin and also the author of a book of the same name the Easton's Book of the Year 2022 available in all good bookshops and probably some rubbish ones as well on the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.